Today on Soundtrack Alley, I'll be examining the classic dark tale of Edward Scissorhands. I'll delve into the background a bit and discuss some of the score. It's that time of the year to say hello to Tim Burton films again. I hope you can sit back and relax as I bring you this episode, because it begins now. Hello, I am your host, Randy Andrews. Today, I'm discussing Edward Scissorhands. Usually I ask when it was when my co-host saw the film. I don't have that today, however. I'll discuss when I saw the film. It was on DVD. I had never seen it before, at least not in full. And... I had seen bits and pieces here and there, and the film always intrigued me, but I never took the time to watch it until much later. When I was in my late 20s, I have to say it's a brilliant and surreal film that gives the audience some craziness and yet some realistic views of individuals who normally wouldn't look at the way to do the film. It does reflect true personalities, and that I really love. I'm going to go into some background on the film a little bit, and how things came about or even how things are explained in the film. The idea for the movie was inspired by a drawing Tim Burton had done when he was a teenager. The drawing depicted a thin, solemn man with long, sharp blades for fingers. He said, since I liked to draw since I was younger, oftentimes images would come up and they would stay with you, and you'd keep drawing them. This was a character I sketched a while back. He explains the character represented him as he was in his teenage years, and how the film represents much of his time growing up. He likened growing up in suburbia to a Frankenstein movie, with the suburbanites acting as the angry villagers. Burton also stated that he was often alone and had trouble retaining friendships. I get the feeling people just got this urge to want to leave me alone for some reason. I don't know exactly why. Now it's unique in this film that the entire story is meant to be seen through Edward's eyes. 
which is why the neighborhood looked so fantastical. Tim Burton had hired Caroline Thompson, a then young novelist, to write the Edward Scissorhands screenplay as a specific script. Burton was impressed by her short novel, Firstborn, which was about an abortion that came back to life. Burton felt Firstborn had some psychological elements he wanted to showcase in Edward Scissorhands. So every detail was important to Tim because it was so personal. Now, Thompson wrote Scissorhands as a love poem to Burton, calling him the most articulate person I know, but couldn't put a single sentence together. Now, in the film, Edward is regarded as an artificial human, but he's more of a homunculus than a robot or a golem. In an interview with Johnny Depp, he once characterized Edward as a creation and left it at that. When Tim Burton first saw Stan Winston's enhanced drawings, he said, I didn't think he'd actually have scissors for fingers. I thought they'd just be long, sharp pieces of metal that weren't finished, but this is much better. And to construct the scissor hands, Stan Winston and his team searched for every different kind of pruning shear and scissor ever made. If viewers look at Edward's hands, they notice that each finger looks much different from the next. Once the final design was established, many sets of the scissor hands were then made. Most of these were very safe, lightweight resin blades, vacuum metalized to give them the appearance of metal, but there were in fact a few real ones constructed for insert shots. Edward was speculated as being a metaphor for autism and related disorders. One particularly notable thing is the way the film portrays people's reactions to him. While one might say the fascination most of the neighborhood has with them as being parodic of the stereotype of 1950s suburbanites, that they're closed-minded and it's apt considering when the movie came out that it's 1990 and in the most in the post Rain Man world of the late 80s and early 90s there was a widespread interest in the savant abilities possessed by some autistics now Tim Burton feels we live in a time where media controls what people think that they have opinions on something but don't actually have any feelings toward it he also feels it's becoming more and more like that he doesn't tie this into the film, though he does bring it up when reporters are trying to speak with Edward after he's released from jail. Now, Burton also remembers Christmas in the suburbs and how everyone would adopt an intensity with decorations, but had no real feelings toward the holiday or its more traditional aspects. He also mentions people in suburbia tended to get crazier during the holidays, to which he chalks up to guilt. I think people felt pressurized or pressured. People felt pressured by their families and things, he says. It brings out all the skeletons in the closet. He had a very, he still has a very unique look at humanity. Now, he acknowledged that the main themes of Edward Scissorhands deal with self-discovery and isolation. 
Edward is found living alone in the attic of a gothic castle, a setting that is also used for main characters in Tim Burton's Batman, The Nightmare Before Christmas, and even Frankenweenie. Now, a mob confronts the evil creature, in this case Edward, at his castle. With Edward unable to consummate his love for Kim because of his appearance, the film can also be seen as influenced by Beauty and the Beast. Edward Scissorhands is a fairy tale book ended by a prologue and an epilogue featuring Kim Boggs as an old woman telling her granddaughter the story augmenting the German expressionism and gothic fiction archetypes, which is unique. Let's get into talking a little bit on the score. Tim Burton had asked Robert Smith of The Cure to do the soundtrack and had even sent the script. Robert was busy recording Disintegration at the time and didn't know who Burton was, so passed on the opportunity handing Danny Elfman the job. Although Tim Burton said that this isn't his greatest film, he said it is his favorite, and the score by Danny Elfman is his favorite of all his soundtrack compositions. If Edward Scissorhands helped define what a Tim Burton film was, it also became emblematic of a Danny Elfman score. When you think of Elfman, you automatically think of Tim Burton. The two have collaborated since Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and Elfman, of course, started with Oingo Boingo and found his way into film scoring. Elfman's style is gothic and dark. It fits perfect, just as a year earlier he did Batman. Elfman did a series of comic book-related films that had action and a gothic sense to them. He seemed to like he was typecast that to be of a gothic writer for film scores. Edward Scissorhands is definitely gothic in nature, but it's also lyrical, beautiful, sad, and melancholy. Elfman didn't feel pressured. It was all internal. He also wrote a mesmerizing fantasy tale score with Celesta notes and soulful boys and women's choir. The composer's opening showcases the simple melody of our tortured hero of the story and how he weaves this beautiful yet tragic tale. I'd like to play the cue story time to start us off. This is a tragic yet lovely tale with true storytelling that Elfman writes. It's a gorgeous melody and with Tim Burton giving us this sweeping of this quaint town and which introduces us to the house on the hill and the house on the hill is very gothic in nature and dark and sin- it looks sinister but it's not. That is next though. We'll get into that. So for now Let's play story time.
What I truly love about that cue is how there's a simple choral arrangement in it. And the player piano quality with the light airy woodwinds playing in the background. Now next, I'd like us to get into the crux of the main part of the film with the castle on the hill. What I love about this is how Diane West really plays her part well and is this lovable yet clueless makeup saleswoman who brings Edward away from his home and into suburbia. The choir is this simple, wonderful, lyrical, magical feeling, uh, and it gives it gives the film this unique perspective and shows us a unique perspective on the lead character. It provides a haunting theme for Edward and his innocence with our lovely makeup saleswoman. So let's now play Castle on the Hill.
The next cue is highly effective. It may be short, but what is accomplished in the scene with Edward and Kim is pure movie magic. It's called Ice Dance, which plays like a ballet as Edward viciously attacks the ice, sending shavings of it into the air. Kim is enthralled by it and loves the play. Quiet and subdued, and it's just a lyrical wonderment. It reminds you of something that you would hear during the holidays. Uh, And it's almost like snow in the sky because they never had snow before. And this is something unique to their town. So let's go ahead now and play Ice Dance. I'd like to play another unique and comical piece known as Eduardo the Barber. He's very good with his hands, so he has no problem cutting hair and designing wonderful arrangements for the ladies. It's comical and lyrical and quick and painless. There's elements of Flight of the Bumblebee included in this cue, and I really hope you can enjoy it. Thank you. 
Next, I'd like to play Final Confrontation. This gives us the dramatic moments of the score along with a horrific moment in the cue. It highlights how Edward wants to protect Kim at all costs, but goes to hide in his castle and is still confronted with the villain. The cue is dramatic, lyrical, horrifying, dark, and mesmerizing all at the same time. It's perfect Tim Burton magic.
Well, we've come to an end of Soundtrack Alley. I hope you've enjoyed this show. And it's that time of the year where you think of films like this. Uh, The final cue I'll play is the grand finale. It highlights what happened to Edward and how old Kim narrates how he is still alive. All because of the snow that falls from the sky. The main enjoyment is the xylophone and how simple the melody really is. It still has a magical element to the cue and how things are sad yet loved. The choir really is amazing through this cue and you almost see the whole world through Edward's castle. So I'd like to close by thanking Alexander Shebel today for composing Soundtrack Alley's theme music. You can find him at xanderscores.com. You can find most of my new episodes on Cinematic Sound Radio, where there's nine other shows on that network, one of which is Anime Spectacular. I always enjoy sharing things with my good friend Eric Woods, and you can find him through Twitter at Cinematic Sound. And go over to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network at cinematicsound.net. For me, you know where to find me, SoundtrackAlley.com, and any of the podcatchers that you may use. And to end the show today, I'll now play the grand finale. And until next time, take care and happy listening.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley. If you are an Apple podcast, please give the show a five-star rating. Check out the content over at SoundtrackAlley.com, as well as Cinematic Sound Radio, where most of my new material is posted. If you have a comment, question, or concern, please email me at SoundtrackAlley at gmail.com. 